0: Welcome back to the show today. We are joined again by Mr. Jason Adam Miller. Welcome to the show Jay. Thanks man. It's good to be back. It's been a while. It has been a while and we got you back because you heard that there was a podcast about masculinity and being a person who fashions himself as the paragon of masculinity, <laughs> you knew you had to be in the room if we were talking about masculinity. You know,
1: I didn't think it, but the hordes, the masses, I just heard from so many people that uh, you were talking about masculinity, and it seemed obvious to your listeners that I should do a follow-up with you to, to clarify a few things.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the... The man that many people on the internet call the Joe Rogan of pastors <laughs> had to have his voice on the podcast. I don't know if that's a compliment. That's a very, depending on who's saying it, that's either a raving compliment or a really, really negative point of view. Well, here's the thing. If it gets me 11 million downloads like Joe Rogan averages per episode, we'll nice. take it for whatever it's worth. Nice, nice. We might, yeah. we might just have to borrow a page
1: from his book in, in uh, Indulgence of Intoxicants while we talk to each other because I think that's part of how he makes his conversations work.
0: Well, as a pastor, I don't even know what those things are, and so you can look that up and tell me all about that off mic, but I, I don't even know what those things are. Um, I do need to clarify some stuff from last week. There okay. was a tragedy that happened. You want to hear about it? Do you like stories? <laughs> I do like stories. Here's a story about a tragedy. One of my listeners, I, like, I'm not mad at you. I'm just hurt. Like, I'm not—, I'm not Wait, me? I'm not— a- I'm not angry. No, this is to the listener. Don't make this so all about you like you usually do. I'm not angry at you, Mr. Listener. I'm just hurt. This is betrayal, okay? Someone took what I said in confidence on this podcast who figured out who this group of golf ballers are, reached out to someone else in my brother-in-law's golf ball group that I referenced last week on the podcast and asked about it. They heard, so member of this group heard, and then tells my brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law Hears this, and all of a sudden, now he is like one of those like little gremlin monsters that, when you put him in water, like they just grow and become like a, 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 a terrifying species. And that's what happened to my brother-in-law. Now he feels like he's doing his mental health good by golfing. He's using this to tell his wife that I'm for him doing this more. It's just a, it's just a, it, dear listener, you did this probably unintentionally, but what you created was a monster, of my brother-in-law. So you, so you, Luke, put out a podcast to the whole world.
1: Mm-hmm. told a story about Blaine, your brother-in-law. Yes. Who, by the way, is the reason for the podcast,
0: right? Okay, let's stay on, stay on topic, <laughs> just Jay. Trying
1: to, just trying to follow the logic here. And then yes. um, this thing that you told the whole universe on the podcast got back to
0: Blaine. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the problem? Yes, I don't know how to make that any more clear. That's exactly what the problem is. Because now he thinks I like him, and he's using my words against me.
1: I mean, I think if he's going to use your words to... Wait, is he using your words against you, or is he just using them for him? To, yeah, he like, texted oh, me golfing.
0: He texts me like on Tuesday and said, I knew you liked me. And I was like, no, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't need you to think that. That's not how this relationship works. I
1: think that might be one of the most self-revelatory, insightful things you've ever said, which is that when somebody else thinks that you like them, you feel assaulted. <laughs> <laughs> that just says so much about
0: you. This is why I'm an expert on masculinity. Nice, I'm, nice. Yes, this is why I should You're be talking expert about of this toxic more. toxic masculinity, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> good, good, good. That's what I said last week. Yeah, it doesn't exist. There's no such thing as it. That's just called masculinity in my book. Oh, it's it's just that. <laughs> I'm really sorry that happened to you, man. I'm really sorry. Thank you. I appreciate your compassion. I feel like Wayne
1: probably owes you a dinner in downtown Austin.
0: Yes, he should.
1: Uh, he should. He should probably wait till I'm in town so he can add me to the tab.
0: Um, yeah, let's make that happen. We had, we had some important stuff to talk about with masculinity, and... Uh, Yeah, so we're back on. We got something else to talk about today, though. Jay has been gone for months. He actually was in Texas, and uh, I had a meeting with he and one Richard Beck, a fan favorite of the podcast. The people were saying, hey, why don't you record this? And by people, I mean my dad. And Jay said, no, I'm too good for it. I don't want to do this. (laughs) It's exactly what you said. We would have had an episode with Beck, myself, and you, but you're like, too good for it. You don't want to do it. You're like... You know, uh, Richard Rohr, sure, uh, you know, David Bentley Hart, yes, (laughs) but
1: Richard Beck, below your standards. I was um, having integrity with the spirit of my sabbatical that my church blessed me with and called me to, and that included no
0: public work, like preaching, podcasts, etc. Okay, fine. It's a tomato-tomato kind of thing. You were just worried that John Eldridge was going to find out and he was going to hang up on you during that <laughs> yes. call as well? Yes, <laughs> I was
1: vicariously traumatized by that episode. <laughs> yeah, that's right. that's right.
0: Okay, so Jay, you were on a sabbatical, yeah. and uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about sabbatical, uh, the importance of Sabbath and resting and taking a break. And I figured this would be a good time. Like, you're fresh off a sabbatical, and in some ways, like, a sabbatical is something that not many... People get to experience. When you came back yeah. from sabbatical, like how many of your friends from church that you finally saw after a few months being gone, uh, last Sunday was your first time there, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. How many of them were like, oh, this is great. I remember when I took a sabbatical for my job working right. at Dell or, you know, whatever. Yeah, no, uh, nobody said that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's
1: right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, will, I will say as a credit to my church, like I, I was thinking on Sunday as I was talking to people, I'm not sure how many pastors and communities would have this dynamic, but um, I was really humbled and, and moved by how celebratory people were. Hmm. I think it'd be really easy, I think, to be jealous. Like, must be nice, right? But right. Um, we've been preaching fields, not factories, from the very beginning of our church, uh, which is about just trying to remember that life with God doesn't really work the way that life in the industrial age works. Like, life with God has seasons, and you can't always control the outcomes. And some, sometimes the field has to lay fallow. So we've been saying it from the beginning, and uh, we wanted to have integrity with that. And it just meant a lot to to have a community that um, was willing to, to express that kind of commitment to the, to the value that we have there. So, but to your point, yeah, it's very, very rare. I think for people to have that kind of a break.
0: How can this be a relevant conversation when most people can't experience a break like you just had? I mean, you were off for three months, right? Yeah. Three and a half. That's that's, (laughs) excuse me. (laughs) Excuse me. Three and a half.
1: It's a a really good question. I've been thinking a lot about that uh, since I came back. A, A few thoughts come to mind. First of all, um, it's not about the three and a half months per se. It's about looking at your life and your calendar and your resources and figuring out what you can do. I also think a lot of people assume things that aren't really true. Um, A couple of examples. So uh, we were funded by a grant to help make this happen, which we're really grateful for. Um, The Lilly Endowment does these clergy renewal grants. And so that gave money for the church to cover my absence. And it also helped me fund some of my activities. When All you're right?
0: saying activities, I just think of the line from Step Brothers where they're like, we're doing crafts because we've got the beds <laughs> out of the way. Like activities, it's, it's kind of a...
1: Uh, guest speakers, a big church picnic, that kind of stuff. Um, gotcha. But, but, so actually, I kind of got a little uh, lippy with a couple of my friends before my sabbatical. I had a couple of friends who were like, must be nice. Mm-hmm. I just told them, I was like, you literally have that much extra money beyond what I have any given year of your life, but you've chosen to spend it on other things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I got friends who, um, between jobs, um, and I, I, I should probably recognize right now I'm talking about, um, these are a couple of fairly privileged examples. So I don't want to like be tone deaf toward that, but, uh, like a friend, a friend of mine a couple of years ago was wrapping up one job and seeking another job and he's a single guy. And, um, I was kind of processing with him how he wanted to do that. And uh, he's work he works really, really hard and he'd saved up some money, and, I, and he was looking at a scenario where he was going to finish his employment at one job, like on a Friday, and start his employment at the next job on a Monday. I was like, why would you do that? And um, he didn't have any good answers for that. The job didn't require that. He could have delayed his new offer by a couple of months. I'm just saying, like, yeah, what I experienced this summer was really luxurious and um, uncommon. Also, a lot of us just decide we can't do things when we can, and I think if... if um, If we looked at our schedules and our budgets, a lot of us could probably discover that there's a lot of commitments that we've made that we don't have to make, and a lot of things we've said yes to that you could say no to, but it's really hard to do that, and it takes a lot of intentionality to figure that out, and I'm thankful that it was the community around me that kind of pushed me into this and helped me structure it, because I'm not sure I would have done it on my own without the help of, of others.
0: Yeah, yeah. I have had that similar feeling when I had a sabbatical that was a month and a half, not to be confused with three and a half months like yours, uh-huh. uh, a couple of years ago. And I had that same conversation. Oh, my job never gives me that. And I was like, you make three times as much money as I do. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, if you want to look at the entire compensation package, which I am not upset about, I'm just like, people are kind of oblivious. Many yeah. of us get oblivious to the things that are afforded to us, the resources that we have at our discretion. Mm-hmm. And not everyone does, really. I, like, I fully understand that not everyone does. But... You know, teachers, they, my wife is now on a teacher's schedule. She's transitioned from working at a hospital. Now she's working at a school. Like you have a summer that is a unique opportunity to do something. Um, you know, the employment overlap, like you described, like many of us would just like jump right into that, but there has to be a value for, uh, for what you described as like the field laying fallow. Yeah. And most of us like think productivity is the highest virtue, why do you think allowing space for the field or like the metaphor, like for our soul, for our life to be fallow, Like, how do we assume that to be of the utmost importance or or at least have some importance?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, first of all, it just seems like, it just seems like so biblical to me. Um, Jesus's favorite metaphors for our life with God, like almost all of them come from the field. And I know that like, yeah, he lived like in an agrarian age, but I, I genuinely think he would still do that. Um, yeah. I also think that um if you if you really believe at, at at the the base of your life that life is a gift and that you are a recipient of grace. And I don't I don't just mean you know grace in the face of your sin and your mistakes, but I mean like every breath is grace, every moment is a gift that you're not the one who sustains yourself. I mean, yeah, your work pays your bills, but there's a deeper level at which if you really believe that you're not the one who sustains yourself, Um, but rather like your job is to cooperate with this thing that's bigger than you that sustains you um, then i think you might sort of take a step back from the 24 7 365 production Um, and it's really scary like i think it's scary for a lot of people to let the the field lay fallow because um whether you wonder how you're going to pay the bills or whether you wonder whether you matter or whether your life makes a difference or Um, yeah, it's just really hard to do that. But I think that's exactly why that's where the growth is for a lot of us, especially like in the modern era where we've all basically been taught that like, we are the sum, we're nothing more than what we produce. And I think, Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be really hard to lay hold of a deeper truth if you don't practice that deeper truth.
0: Yeah. I've had this conversation uh, a few times in the last year where people were at the stage of their life where retirement is on the cusp. And one of the things that I've heard multiple people process is identity outside of earning, and yeah, identity yeah. outside of yeah, yeah. like professional performance. And so I think with the bigger idea of like a sabbatical, which is not realistic for most people, but on a very small practical thing, which is Sabbath, which is you know one day a week of functionally taking a, a break from yeah. being productive, I think you have to address some of those issues of how do I understand myself outside of what I'm doing?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. You um I feel like you and I talked when you had your 6 weeks. Um was that was that 2 years ago?
0: Uh I've been at Westover for 7 years. I get them every 5. It was I actually took it like a year late because of the sabbatical or because of the pandemic, which is in a lot of ways people sabbatical from church. <laughs> yeah. it is. You're welcome for that joke. Uh yeah, it was like a year and a half ago. Yeah, that's right. Um I like I remember you
1: processing it and I feel like you and I had a similar experience and I feel like you can have this on a Sabbath day or you can have it on a longer break, but like i don 't know that we know entirely how much we need these things until we get into them too right that 's kind of the hard thing about it like when yeah. you 're in the grind, it can be you might if you 're in the grind, you might recognize you 're tired, but you might not recognize just how deeply your soul like yeah. is begging for you to like do something different right and, until yeah. you get into the experience right is that Is that what that was like for you
0: yeah that, that was one hundred percent i mean for me it was. Uh, after Easter of, you know, like a year and a half ago and, you know, gone through some loss, obviously the loss of my mother was, uh, n- not too far in the rear view from that. And I found myself like I'd slowed down and all of a sudden, like all these things that I like had suppressed, like all these like feelings and emotions that I didn't deal with. Cause I was just having to be productive and get things done and do my job and to, you know, keep everything afloat. Like those things came to the surface and I wouldn't have known going into it, like, Hey, my goal is to take care of this. Right. But it's almost like you have to slow down to let your soul catch up to where your body is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Is that your experience? Yeah, totally. So for me, um, like the first couple days of my sabbatical, which was, I started the day after Easter, uh, or basically Mm -hmm. when Easter gatherings were done. Um, and I, I was sort of besieged with the kind of anxiety that I don't know that I've experienced in my adult life is really palpable physical, um, And it's funny, I I told some people about it, and their first thing was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, you you don't feel comfortable when you're not working. I was like, no, that's not quite it. Like, like I'm not one of those, um, I'm not quite wired to, like, need to just feel productive. But I do Mm -hmm. think um, the anxiety had a bunch of things to teach me about some fears that I was suppressing and some, um, yeah, I think that's probably a good word for it. um, And that they were going to be present but unnamed hmm. until I got to that sort of wide open space where there was nothing left to do but look at them and that's when they kind of bubbled up not just emotionally or mentally but physically for me and then I had to kind of interrogate that stuff and figure out what it was telling me and the sabbatical didn't create it the sabbatical revealed it you know it was, yeah. it was the time when I could finally take a look at it
0: yeah a couple follow up questions first uh, the like, you're, you felt in your body yeah
1: right can yeah. you flush that a little bit more I mean, it started in my belly, like quite physically, like literally like in my belly, just kind of, a, um, I, maybe the kind of way if you like, if you're about to do something that makes you nervous, Yeah. but it was just, it just kind of hit and then I couldn't sleep at all. I mean, like I would have thought like you, you cross the finish line, you get through Easter, you know, which is always um, a lot of work. And I, I, I was physically, mentally exhausted and yet I couldn't sleep at all, um, and so, it's just some of these kind of physical manifestations that
0: uh, I had to pay attention to. Okay, this happened right a, right when it started, and this was right after Easter. Yeah, weren't you? Didn't you come to Austin like two days after? I did. Yeah. So was this happening? Like, I don't remember you. took, Like, this is before you got to Austin, or no, was it?
1: Oh, uh, what? Well, you know what's interesting is, um, throughout the sabbatical, I would be in South Bend, and then I would be away. I'd kind of come yeah. home, do laundry, you go out. Um, and it really hit when I was here in, in South Bend each time mm-hmm. yeah. um, for the first half of sabbatical. Uh, so, yeah, no, I think when I got on the plane, it kind of like created some distance from some of the fears that I was working through. And um, yeah, or maybe what happened is I got through Easter and then I realized the next thing I had to do was hang out with you and I just got really <laughs>
0: nervous. Oh, <But> that's <laughs> that. See, that's that's a kind of toxic masculinity we're not here okay, for. Not when you talked about fears like these are these would have been fears that. Would have felt dormant or non existent until you slowed down, or did you just kind of know they're underneath the surface and waiting to come up?
1: Uh, I think they weren't completely new, but I think the level at which they were operating, I was unaware of. They're Enneagram 5 fears. They're like sorry, like I, having I, to
0: be friendly and having to <laughs> be social and having to no. show up.
1: <laughs> no, a, um, like a fear of scarcity of inner resources. Mm-hmm. That's always kind of a background fear, but I think um, I had to realize just how much, it, just how much that's been with me, and then um, how you know the sabbatical. It's like, wow. Well, what if this experience doesn't fill me back up? Like, what if it doesn't give me what I think I need to go back into the work? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you realize maybe maybe I've been doing this work for longer than I realized feeling that i don't have enough within me to keep it going meaning what
0: uh, wait no if you're saying like yeah. you've been doing this long enough yet you still feel like you don't have enough like i hear you describing yeah. behavior that contradicts the thoughts
1: yeah i mean i think it's it's um uh, that's a good question um i think it's how long can you just kind of grin and bear it while pretending that you're not afraid that you've got nothing left? Hmm. Um, and, I, and I don't mean to say that, like, the last few days, weeks, or months of my work with the church before the sabbatical was all, like, ne- like if you would have asked, I mean, there's plenty that I loved and enjoyed and felt really joyful about in the months leading up to it. So I don't, I don't mean to sound like it was all, like, this one's not a burnout uh, uh, response. I, I don't think I got to sabbatical, um totally devastated. I'm really thankful that we didn't wait till till I I got to that situation. Uh-huh. And, and yet, like I think um, the sabbatical I discovered, like one of the things that uh, a, a pastor, um, sort of a an older pastor who speaks into my life sometimes um, said, um, think of your sabbatical as a person who has something to teach you. Hmm. Like this experience as a conversation partner and God's going to speak through it to you and, st- and teach you some things. And I think um, the anxiety was just this kind of cue to get curious and begin asking like what am i going to learn and experience here and a lot of it had to do with um you're going to get you are going to get what you need but it's not going to be what you think hmm. or you are going to get what you need but you're not going to get it the way you thought you would get it or you know, but all these yeah. kind of variations on that where you're going to you're going to like lose control but you're going to get what you need um, yeah. yeah and so i think you know up until sabbatical it's there's all those little things that you do to kind of cover over your fears, all those little kind of mental, emotional, and behavioral sort of covers and adaptations that you, for every one of us, whatever whatever our kind of core issues are that we kind of like use to kind of cover over that stuff. And then you get into a wide open space and it, maybe it invites you to dismantle some of that.
0: I can imagine there's someone listening going, dude, I just heard you describe getting money to do activities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't have to work for three and a half months. Yeah. And you should be just having fun, like you should be just enjoying life and sleeping in. And wait, somebody's you know.
1: thinking that, or you, my
0: enneagram seven friend, are thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, like you just described something that is a pretty yeah. substantial spiritual like sojourn yeah. that yeah. you experienced. Whereas some people would think this is just a very prolonged vacation.
1: Yeah, right. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah they, right, right. It's
0: well, like I like going on vacation with my family, and we yeah. have fun at the beach, and that's great. This sounds like it should just be you know, 12 weeks of that, but it's, you're not describing that experience. No. And that's one thing I was really thankful for this being, um, you know,
1: um, communal and that, you know, the grant forces you to apply for the grant. You've got to make a really strong case for what you're going to use this money for. And it's called a clergy renewal program. So you really need to kind of demonstrate that you've come up with an idea that's going to bring you back to your work better on behalf of the community. And so I Mm -hmm. I really liked the fact that whether we got the grant or not, that the application process forced that. And then you develop, you develop the whole proposal with your community. And so with us, it was our board and I working together on it. So that meant it was me with other people who know me really well, like Mm -hmm. thinking together about, and we, we wanted joy. And there, I mean, there was a ton of fun in the sabbatical. There were experiences that were like just really beautiful moments. Um, some of the things I love the most, some of the people that I love the most, um, but it it wasn't just, let's just blow this thing out with, you know, a thrill. Um, it was also like, how do you, how how are we going to tend to, um, like, the deepest parts of I me, mean, the things that matter most, so that I can come back and tend to those things on behalf of our church?
0: Yeah. So you could have been just like, hey, I'm going to blow this out, have a big old time. In South Bend, you're going to go every night to the best restaurant there, which is like the Golden Corral or... Chilies or whatever. Don't make, and, of, don't make fun of South Bend on me. I will come at you. Um, we got good food in South Bend. <laughs> but, uh, but instead of something different. And like, like so I'm trying to, like, how do you translate this to yeah, yeah, yeah. most of us? It's a level of intentionality that you're going to create space where you're going to be, like, to be still and know who God is, like, as the Psalm says. And many of us are never still... And so, surprise, surprise, we never feel like we know God because we're never still, and so we, we have to slow down to do this, but it doesn't it doesn't come naturally. It doesn't yeah. make sense. One of my favorite lines about Sabbath, which again sabbatical, long-term Sabbath one day, uh, for the for the most part, there's a line by Peterson about how, like when we never slow down and never trust God to do enough, we start singing self-centered ditties about how we keep everything going and we no longer have the ability or the capacity to sing, this is my father's world, wow. right? Like, like we, yeah, we yeah, move yeah. away from that. Like I, I've got to keep the whole world spinning mentality and there's a level of trust that you have to step away and go, you know, it, it's all right. Like I, my world is going to be fine without it. You as a pastor, I mean, your, your church finalized uh, purchasing a building, yeah. uh, f- very first property, you know, SBCC has ever had and that was coalesced while you were gone. Yeah, and great. so there's a level, like, I, I got to be okay to step away from this and yeah, yeah. have the trust. Like, how, how would you encourage people to have the trust to to step away in whatever way they can?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the, yeah, there's some really big stuff in the life of our church that was going on while I was gone. Um, I think one piece of this is, like, whatever environment you inhabit, whether it's, like, a workplace or a family system or a church, um like, I, I I hope one thing we would believe in any of those environments is that, um, if it's good, hopefully it, it relies on more than one person and for you to step out for a season, whether it's a day a week or, you know, or a true vacation, like one where you don't check email and you don't pretend, you know, to be connected to work for an hour a day is like, it's also an act of faith in other people. Right. And that God can do through them the same kinds yeah. of things that God's doing through me. Um, that's really important for spiritual community but again that could be a family and that could even be a workplace um and i think uh it's also uh, this is this might sound naive it's, it's also important to know that things might not go quite the way that you wanted but that too is like i don't know if you live and die by your ability to control everything around you you're going to die by that by that you know it's live live by the sword mm. die by the sword and i don't you know i don't know that we were ever meant to um, promote ourselves to that to that level of authority over the world around us. I think we're participants in the world around us, and we can influence it. But I think another way to really kind of remember that we're creatures um, is to step away and, and let things happen without us for a little while.
0: Yeah, but like you said, that requires a, a level of trust that isn't always easy for us to to get to. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, and so. Yeah.
1: And there's work to be done. Like, I mean, again, I know we're talking about the church thing and a lot of you listeners don't work for churches, but like for the church, it was like, there was certainly a matter of timing. I mean, we deliberated together about, um, how strong is the team without me? And the good news is it's really strong right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, that wouldn't be the case in every season. I'm not saying in any season it would have been appropriate. We, we thought about, we originally planned on me doing this a year earlier, but with COVID for obvious reasons, we punted a year. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's not just like, oh yeah, just pull out on your responsibilities whenever there's a lot of intentionality there but I think that kind of gets to the bigger point which is like a good life and by good I mean meaningful and purposeful and sustainable Um, a good life takes intentionality right it takes thoughtful building and so you might have to do some work you know maybe somebody's thinking about how would I even have a a weekly Sabbath which you know maybe, maybe the starting point for somebody is like could I get a half day a week like a sacred half day a week and it's the same block every week and my my body, my spirit, over time is going to learn that like that's the time when I lay all of my striving down, all of my effort. I don't try to be responsive to anything except what's inside me and what God's doing, and I just kind of like lay it back and let it happen. And I think um, it might take you a while to even like make that possible, right? You might have to move some things around and and yep. explain to the people around you what you're doing. Um, but that's not a reason to
0: not do it. Yeah, no, that uh, that definitely makes sense. I find myself in a predicament where. Uh, this weekend I've got, you know, usually Friday is when I take my Sabbath, but this Friday we've got a luncheon for our, our teachers at the high school across the street from us that we're pretty intentional about being connected to. And so, you know, can't do it then Saturday, I've got a funeral I'm doing. And so I'm, you know, uh, grateful to, you know, get to serve in that capacity, but like it, it's just, it, it's not perfect. It's not like what I want it to be. And so I'm having to recalibrate, you know, what does it look like, but it requires a level of like commitment that I'm going to do this but also flexibility because there's a line from A.J. Swoboda who wrote a book called uh, The Subversive Sabbath. And he says, like, there's no such thing as a perfect Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. Like, none of it's going to be perfect. So you want to do the week-long vacation with the family where you don't check in on email. But, like, stuff happens. And there's an occasional phone call that, that gets brought up. And y- y- you want to be intentional but also know that none of it's going to be perfect.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, and for what it's worth, dude, you could say that everything went wrong on my sabbatical. In terms of, like... Um, I had like one, two, three, four, five major like housing things because I was going to be in L.A. for a month and Nashville for a mm-hmm. month and Ireland, uh, Belfast for a week and Joshua Tree. Um, and I had like I had like lodging booked for all those. Every single lodging I had booked for the entire sabbatical fell through.
0: Um, Jay, I think you just won all the listeners over. They're so sympathetic. And I know. All the places you I were. Know. Oh, my goodness. I, I had to switch houses. I know. Um, I know. I know. You're just... But I'm telling you people over left and right. I know, I
1: know, I know. But I'm telling you, you try to find uh, a place to stay for a month in L.A. with two weeks notice. It's not easy. Um, mm-hmm. The hotel in Ireland burned down <laughs> before I went there. And I'm, By the way, nobody was hurting in the fire. So um, we're just we're just kind of joking about property, not people. But um, but I'm telling you, like everything went wrong. So like to your point, it's just like and part of what the sabbatical had to teach me was like. That fear thing, that scarcity thing—it was like, oh, now you're freaking out because you thought that you perfectly engineered this experience to give you what you needed, and then all your plans are breaking down. And again, like even that proved to be part of the invitation and part of the lesson. And and you know, in reality, um, I had everything I needed through this thing, um, even though it was almost none of what I planned. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really good lesson. Like, like Sabbath and rest—it's not like fantasy, right? It's it's not. it's not necessarily ease. Um, there's some, there's something different about intentionality and spiritual practice that is good and restful, but it's not necessarily easy. And yep. I think it could be really confusing if you enter into it thinking, "Oh, cool! For one day a week, life's going to be easy or, or smooth." It's like no, that's, there's something
0: different going on there, right? Hmm. So if ease is the goal, then like the good life is trying to multiply that to seven days a week, where everything is always going to be easy. Yeah. If that's like if the yeah. goal. But if the goal is meaningful, like if it's going to be formative, it's going to be like good in the greater sense of the word good, yeah. then you can carry that to the other six days a week or you can take right. that back with you. Like this That's is right. a, probably a once in a lifetime sabbatical and now you're going to come back from that and take it with you for the rest of your life.
1: Well, yeah, because I think it's, you know, at least from where I'm coming from, um, both the work and the rest are meant to be rooted in the same thing. Which is I'm cooperating with God.
0: Yeah. Right? Hmm. And that's
1: like the universal threat to me underneath it. It's like the work, because work can be like, oh, I'm just striving on my own. I'm just fighting on my own to make, make things happen. I'm pushing a boulder up a hill with my own strength. But, you know, I, maybe one of the reasons to take on rest, whether it's, you know, a half day or, or a longer stretch, is um, to try to, like, get yourself in sync with the idea that you're not the one creating everything from scratch, you're cooperating mm-hmm. with with yep. the kind of on, uh, ongoing creative work of God, and so then rest and work can be woven together in, into the same kind of experience.
0: Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we think about pre-fall work still existed in the garden in Genesis yeah. before there was yeah, the fall. Work still existed. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it was always in there, yeah. but. Sabbath was also in there. And it wasn't like work is the consequence of the fall, but it, it's always been there. But also like the pinnacle of humanity, like day seven of the first creation story, it's it's rest. Like God initiates Sabbath as like the pinnacle of the human experience. And so work and rest are both part of what God designs us for. And it's not the fall that causes work. And it's not Sabbath that undermines work. It's like they, they need to go hand in hand to live like this life that you just described—that it, it is life engaged in cooperation, in connection with God.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and yeah, that's—and um, again, that could be a half day a week, right? That could be—that could be the first hour of your morning, just, decide, just deciding that you're going to start your day not in striving, yeah, but in, in just kind of in presence, you know. Um, even that, I think, is a, like a really powerful way to take this seriously.
0: Yeah, I, I think disconnection whatever form that looks like on small scales or big scale, like you just described with sabbatical, like it's essential. The morning routine, like you need to wake up before your phone. That's essential. Like you you got it, or not essential, but like, it's very important to do that. Go to bed after your phone goes to bed, put your phone to bed before you do. That's important. Having a day to get away from it. All those things are small ways that you step away from responsibility. So in some ways you can actually step towards who God wants you to be.
1: Yeah, and I feel like almost all of that, there's probably a lot of us who, could, who might be tempted to say, it's impossible. My, like mm-hmm. my life, I, there's no way I could do that. And that's where, while, again, while I recognize that a long sabbatical it, it, it isn't going to be accessible for I, I totally get that. I actually think that some of this, this way of being in the world is more accessible to more of us than we realize. But we've just decided to, to go along with or to agree with yeah. a way of being in the world that's not working for any of us you can look at like mental health and you can look at a lot of like data about the fact that we're not doing well right now. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think one of the reasons is we've all just decided that this is the way it has to be. Mm -hmm. And we have to go, 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 and always be connected digitally and, you know, um, burn the candle at both ends. And some of that stuff is harder to resist than other parts of it. But I, it's like, how do you, how do you genuinely recognize and honor Um, the realities of our lives that make these things hard. But at the same time, simultaneously push back and say, even if it is hard, it may not be as hard as we think it is. We've just decided this is the way things have to be. And I think sometimes um, to tell the truth is to say like, it doesn't have to be that way.
0: Mm, That's good. That's really good. We've just gone along with it and said, this is what it has to be. And part of that is that we never stop to reflect. We don't have these moments to step back or, I mean, we have them available to us, but we choose to not take them. Yeah, that's right. Well, I had um, a. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, Jay. Um, so uh,
1: I, live, I live in St. Joe County, which is next to Elkhart County. Elkhart County, Indiana, um, has a ton of Amish people. And so it's really common, like driving around, to actually see, like, you know, Amish people and their horse and buggy. And I'm, I don't have any interest in going Amish, but I actually kind of like the fact that on a fairly regular basis in my life in, in, in Indiana, I bump into this very, very concrete reminder that you are free to choose other ways of being. That's good. You know what I mean? And j- just because the kind of dominant consciousness or the dominant culture is going a certain direction doesn't mean you have to buy in. And yeah, it might be hard and you might need to do it with other people, which is what they do. You know, they, they resist that together. Um, but I like that reminder.
0: That's Yeah, that's good. And we don't ever think that there's another option out there and occasionally we need someone who's going to function like a John the Baptist out in the out, out in the desert going yeah this doesn't have to be doesn't have this to be doesn't have to be it yeah the Amish are, uh, are quite uh in the biblical sense a peculiar people like they they're a, yeah. a different alignment to the world and they they can be a great reminder that it doesn't have to be that way even if you're not going to be like a lot Amish yeah. yeah but you can still take some of those practices and go this is realistic i mean i found uh you know a handful of people who've made specific intentional decisions with technology mm-hmm that seems like peculiar to me. Like I, I think about Andy Crouch and I go, he's been on the podcast a couple of times. i you know, I made these jokes to him like, dude, you basically are like one step away from being Amish, <laughs> but he's a voice that goes, yeah, you don't have to be on social media. Yeah. You don't have to, you know, have screens in the, in your hands all the time. You don't have to have them in your home. Like, and there's a different way of doing it, but it, it's easy to like, forget that. I, I had a conversation with a buddy of mine from the gym who was asking me about uh, some technology and some screen stuff. And so of course I recommended Andy Crouch to him. But then it was reminded reminder, like, dude, I'd, I'd kind of gotten away from some of my disciplines on these things that are really important. And all of a sudden these things that are very important to me just became a thing that, oh, wow, that's been a couple of weeks or a couple of months. And I've just kind of forgot to do them. And like you're saying, like it, it I feel the consequence of disrespecting the disciplines that bring life to me. Yeah, And often we think of disciplines as like painful things that remove life from us. Oh, I have to be disciplined so that, you know, I'm going to be in trouble for, it. and there's always like a negative connotation, but without discipline, there's no way that you can experience like life as it's intended to have. Like truly discipline, I think does create freedom for all of us.
1: Yeah, that's it, man. And I just think like, Despair is believing that the way things are is the way they always will be, like that mm-hmm. this current st- whatever whatever is not working in your life right now whether it's or whatever it is like despair is believing there's no way out of this, yeah, and I think despair is always a liar it's always hmm. a liar um, whatever whatever it's leveraging to try to tell you that this is the way things are always going to be and so uh, you know again sabbatical and its details might be really unique to some people's opportunities, but the, the heart behind it I think is just. Um, step out of the 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 current that you've just been sort of going along with, and um, recognize like you, you don't have to be that way. And now coming home, I'm just I'm realizing I've been home for a week and a half, and there's a lot of patterns that were part of my life before I left. The they're kind of presenting themselves again, whether they're external like from other people or whether from me. And I'm really thankful. I feel this kind of fresh awakening right now to like observe it. And like pause for a moment before I just go with it, you know, and there's like there's a little opportunity right now to to reinvent some stuff, and that's available to all of us and and that's yeah. like the, the bigger point
0: yeah, yeah, I, I think post pandemic a lot of people did a reckoning of what they want their schedule to look like, yeah. and yeah. something good, something not so good, but everyone like had that interruption that afforded them the ability to have like a different start, a fresh start yeah. and so if you're if you're going to talk to someone who's listening to this going, okay, I don't have three and a half months sabbatical around the corner. I don't have a job that affords me that I have, you know, home responsibilities, work responsibilities that make that prohibitive, but I, I need to do this. I know whatever I'm doing right now, isn't working for me. You said, okay, it could be half day. It could be, you know, this or that. What would your prescription be for how someone can start creating space to rest?
1: Yeah. A few thoughts. One, start small. Like, really, small and consistent is better than big and you give up, mm-hmm. right? So if rather than, oh, man, I'm going to take a whole day a week, that might be really dramatic. It might be better to start with an hour a week and really stick to it. Uh, two, I would say, like, do something to bring other people into it. You know, um, maybe, like, if you're part of, like, a family life in your home, um, you might need to, like, let, it, let the rest of your crew know what you're doing and why you're doing it so that they're, they're able to respect it and support it. Um, if if you run into resistance, don't interpret resistance as a sign that you're doing something wrong. Because what we're talking about is inherently kind of countercultural. So you've got to like, you got to create a little hack in your brain where when you run into resistance, you don't interpret it as a sign that you're doing something wrong. In fact, you might even interpret it as a sign that you're doing something right. Um, Go ahead.
0: What kind of resistance?
1: Um, Would you? Yeah. So everything from like, um, you know, like really, really benign resistance might just be like, because people don't know that you're taking off that one hour every morning or, you know, maybe it's like you're not going to check email before 8 a.m., right? And, you know, you've got people sending you emails at 730 and then they're wondering why they haven't heard back from you. That's a little kind of benign resistance, right? It might be um, that stuff gets added to your calendar that you don't – like depending on your workplace, it might be that stuff gets put on your calendar that you don't even ask for. It just shows up. And you might have to kind of push back against that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. It might be internal. Um, You might be uncomfortable in the space that you carve out. You know, it's just kind of like internal things like, oh, I don't like this. It's kind of like I'm I'm having to face some stuff. Don't treat that as a sign that you're doing something wrong. Um, Or it might be more explicit and a little less benign. People might really have a problem with you trying to carve this time out. And then you're going to have to be really discerning, I think, about how to interpret that. Because it might be meaningful feedback. It might be your family saying, hey, we really need you right now. and you might yeah. need to like interpret that appropriately or or it might be them just they're not used to it and you might have to lovingly and gently say like hey look i'm i'm sorry but this really matters like in the gospels it's a if you if you read the gospels cover to cover and all you look for is the frequency with which jesus withdraws and the amount of resistance he runs into when he does that the pattern begins to stand out really large yeah and i just think um if to if to if to follow Jesus is to be enrolled in the school of life of Christ and to like trust that with his help, you're going to become like him. But you think you're going to become like him with less of the tools than, than he used. that's just crazy to me. Right. I'm like, if I wanted to learn a a new skill, but I thought I could get good at it with less practice than somebody who's a master in that same craft, I would think that's probably pretty nuts. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You're going to disappoint people. How do you determine what disappointment is because you're doing it wrong or you're being selfish, and what disappointment is going to be cost of doing business? Some of this in a good way.
1: Yeah, I think some of this is um, why it's really helpful if you can have a community of shared commitments and values, uh, aka a church. Um, You know, I think. you need you need a few a few sets of eyes, I think, to be objective about this. And so, if you're not surrounded with people who understand the same things you don't understand about why you would do this, you're going to be on your own trying to figure it out. And I heard this really brilliant podcaster recently talk about how isolation is causing a lot of problems in the world. And uh, I think that's another reason to have people around you. Um, all right, what what would you say to that? I'm curious.
0: Well, I agree. First and foremost, everyone listens to this podcast, and that will lead you to all truth in life. So mm-hmm. yes. Uh, this podcast is your first solution to that. Some of us more naturally accept that you are going to disappoint some people. Yeah, And, you know, Enneagram stuff would tell us like a five is going to be okay with that. Like yeah, that's yeah. that's your your life. I mean, it's just a constant disappointment to people. <laughs> Whereas, you know, Enneagram two or whatever, obviously that's an overstatement for for every uh, different number and your stance towards the world. But you have to understand your personality. So there's not like one universal, you know... One piece of advice fits for everyone. I think everyone has to figure out who you are and your motivations for why you are or you aren't okay with disappointing people. Yeah. But a- as a general rule, if I could give one, is you have to disappoint the right people. Right. There's certain people you don't want to disappoint, and certain people you have to understand that's okay to do it. And you've got to figure out what that circle is. And I hate to keep going back to Jonathan Stormont's stupid top ten list of best friends, <laughs> yeah. but to understand the relationships that you've chosen to be in covenant with. And these are the people that I'm going to keep with me to the grave. And these are the ones that like can't be replaced. And these are the ones that are like, these are my ride or die people and understand that like, those are the people that you don't want to disappoint. And so Jesus obviously did even withdraw from his three closest friends in the garden, uh, you know, before he's crucified. Um, But I I think his willingness to be distant from them looks different from his willingness to be distant from the crowd, because you see times that he's, He's withdrawing, but he's also with those people while he's withdrawing. So I, I think you want to figure out who the people are that are the right ones to disappoint and then kind of work backwards from there. I like uh, Andy Stanley has that book
1: called Choosing to Cheat. And yep. it's the same idea. He's kind of like, look, you're going to cheat something. You're going to, you're going to cheat. Like, there's going to be some part of your life where you don't give as much as people think you should give. And I think his point is like, just own that and then choose to cheat the right things. Like, yeah. you know, between your family and your job, like, hopefully, um, you're gonna realize, like, if you have if you have to pick between the two, ultimately give your family what they need, right? Exactly. And yeah, he yeah. goes on and on. Yeah, I think that's really good.
0: Yeah, there's a quote I um, used in a sermon on Sabbath like years ago from like a, a professor, at one of the Ivy League business schools, and he talks about you know. He, the best thing you can give your family is to show them a successful business, and you know if you, you're going to skip some holidays and some birthdays and some Valentine's days, but that's what jewelry's for. Like you send them jewelry, even if you can't oh. send them your presents. And then one day when you're old and rich and you can retire to your, um, you know your your summer home in Nags Head or or Hilton Head or whatever, then you can know that your life was spent well. And you go, eh, no, I think you get that one wrong, my man. Yeah, that's just that is not a life well lived. I, I saw something on uh, Instagram the other day where someone said, you can't be, um, a great man at work and a great man at home. Oh. But, and I was just like, oh my gosh, like if your greatness bifurcates your work or your home life, like you, you've, you've mystified what greatness is. I think a great man understands and a great woman for that matter, understands what matters most. And you're going to prioritize the things that matter the most. And there's no way you could define yourself as great if you're compromising things that are of the utmost importance for some you know, level of success or achievement outside of the home or outside of the core relationships in your life.
1: Yeah, that's good, man. And some of that, too, like we were saying, like, you know, we, we don't all have the luxury of like a workplace whose values are in perfect alignment with our own values. You know, we're all at varying and we, we've all got to discern yeah. just how much daylight we can tolerate between... Yeah. our values and the environments we inhabit. But hopefully some places to be a great man or a great woman, hopefully in some, in some work environments, I'm hoping that like the same thing that makes you considered great in the workplace would also make you great at home. You know?
0: Yeah, I know. It's, it's just ridiculous. Um, one of the things that we, we never talk about when we talk about a culture that's antagonistic towards Christianity, it's always, it, I don't know, it, it seems like we, we pick and choose, but we never want to talk about the uh, obsession with productivity and workaholism. And in some ways I feel like one of the greatest witnesses to speaking against in a countercultural way the brokenness of our of our American obsession with productivity is to close your business on Sunday. And in some ways yeah. I feel like like Chick fil A closing on Sunday, giving up, you know, a billion dollars a year or whatever they're giving up in, in profits is one of the greatest countercultural messages that there is out there to go, Hey, wait a minute. The almighty dollar is not almighty in my life, and I can step away from it. I think that's a beautiful witness that we can all learn from.
1: You know what's funny about that? I've heard people point out that I I don't, I may not have the detail right on this, but I think it's true that like your average Chick fil A store grosses like multiples of your average McDonald's store. And people Mm -hmm. love that because they're like, see, you know, if you do it God's way, God can give you more money six days a week than the world can give you seven. But I'm like, but even that doubles back on the logic that the, the thing that vindicates their strategy is they made more money. Yep. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, yeah. we still haven't figured it out if we think that that's how you prove that this is a better way to be.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and and while I think it's great, I think part of the reason is because, like, th- their chicken is just better than McDonald's. Maybe, maybe that's the reason, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, but w- whatever, anyway, it, it, if that's your first way in, great. Use that logic, but it is definitely not the conclusion. It's not the end piece of it. The end piece is that, you know, man does not live by bread alone. Yeah, that's right. And that's right. at that's some right. point... And even breaded chicken alone. You don't. You need, <laughs> right. you need something else. Right. What's the most unexpected thing you learned on your sabbatical?
1: Um, you and I talked about it before. I spent some time at a monastery and sought out. some not you spiritual? <laughs> sought out some uh, spiritual <laughs> direction from one of the brothers, and we were processing some stuff stuff for me. And just the big, one really big takeaway that the minute he said it, I knew it was true, but I, I didn't see it coming. Was that. Um, there are a lot of things I was feeling reactive to in the world around me that he really called out that there was probably a symptom of uh, some stuff going on in me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, looking back, it's pretty obvious, but in the moment it wasn't. And so he just really set me on some real reflection for the next few weeks about the inner work I needed to embrace. Um, rather than kind of looking at the environment around me, thinking that that was the reason I was feeling some of the things I was feeling. Mm, that's good. All right. Rapid fire.
0: Favorite book you read?
1: Oh, uh, a memoir called Heavy. And I can't pronounce the guy's last name. Key Ace, Key's layman, I think. Um, heavy memoir.
0: Brilliant. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, favorite song during sabbatical? Oh, uh,
1: Half Alive it has a song called Back Around. Um, our mutual friend Eric Carpenter put it on a playlist for me for my sabbatical and it became my anthem.
0: Okay. Um, best Meal? Oof. That's a hard one. Golden Crowd. Chili's, which one?
1: <laughs> uh, we had some good food in Austin. Um, yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, the best, I'm almost uncomfortable to say the best meal because it was it was a very, very privileged experience. It was a good place It was a place called Eleven Madison Park in New York City. Uh, they went vegan and it was extraordinary. So you're vegan now? No. Okay. L- less than ever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Jay. Um it's good to have you back on, and uh, I, I think Richard's going to finally get over the slight um, that you extended to him by blowing him off, but... Um, I maybe didn't blow him off. And, we had a wonderful you, meal together. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, just that you don't want to be in public with him on the podcast. Okay. That's cool. Like, he'll get over it. I know he will, because he's the king of wishful thinking. All right, Jim. Hey, real um, quick,
1: before I go, I just got to say, like, by far the best part of the last few months was the people that I got to spend time with. You were one of them, and I'm really thankful for that.
0: Well, I'm, yeah, it was a good time. So we had a good time. It was a lot of fun, man. Why Why is your house in like a, a speedway? Is this in a NASCAR racetrack or something right outside? Is that what everyone does in the Midwest? Just
1: <laughs> I, live drives in, around I, live, like... I live in the heart of the city, man, the bustling metropolis of South Bend.
0: It's where well, the action uh, is, and you can hear it. Okay, all right. Uh, true or false, uh, Mayor Pete left South Bend because he got sick of you being his neighbor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but Chastain <laughs> might have.
0: Okay, fair enough.